0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think
1: Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for your download. Thanks for all the work that you're doing around the world. I'm Phil Dark. You're a host. And with me is my brother, my co-host, Brandon Stiver. Brandon, how you
2: doing, bro? I'm doing real well. I'm doing just spiffy. Is that a word? Spiffy. Spiffy, I, I, it's like that was a word back in the day.
1: I think it's one of those words that sounds like what it is. You know, it's just, it's just like clean. It's like spiffy, spiffy clean. I don't know. Spiffy, like kids now say clean. Like I'm, I'm clean, and I think that's like good. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, like clean is like you're looking, you're looking good. Like it's clean. Like that's Uh, a clean outfit. uh, I think, I think Uh, I just used that right. I
2: I mean, you know, I wonder if my kid uses that. If my 15 year old uses that, because if he does, it's generally a lie uh, because he's not always (laughs) clean.
1: Yes. Well, my 12 year old does not use that very often, uh, you know, but that's, yeah. So I don't know all the pipe in folks out there and parents who are hip, you know, let us know. Did we use that properly? I don't know. I, I, when I taught at Jessup a couple years ago, I did a, um, actually it was four years ago when I was teaching in class. Um, they did like a quiz for me on the, on the new words that were out there, or they probably weren't even that new. And I, I got, I went 0 for four. So, and then I went home to my kids and I said, you guys know these words? They're like, yeah, dad, there's a, yeah, you're, yeah. you're really old. And they were right. I am really old. So, um, yeah. you know, so that's, and you, you agree. I mean, you're, cause you're like just the kid, you right. know? So anyway, but, uh, but a very wise, very wise, uh, old soul. Kid. Old soul. I like that. So, I think that's a good yeah. description. I'll, I'll, I'll Yeah. Uh, one of my, again, one of my kids is very much an old soul. So that's what we use with, with, with her a lot um speaking of that kid super cool like it's it's going to be like a couple months out but it's still amazing when we when we release this it'll be a couple months out so if you actually are part of this you will know that it's not right now but it was just a couple days ago um that same old soul child it um got baptized i was able to baptize her and um by the river by her house she invited a bunch of her friends we were able to share the gospel it will share about the meaning of baptism and and my, my daughter baptized her with me and it was pretty amazing as a father to be able to baptize your daughter. We baptized as infants, you know, but she wanted to do a profession of faith through baptism. And I said, okay, I have no problem with that. Wow. And, um, and, uh, not awesome to start baby. the infant baptism debate here, but. Well, you um, just started went, it, bro. I just, just went, started. bro, but we're not going to go into that today because we have other things to talk about, but I was so stoked to be able to be a part of that and, um, and just that she asked me to do it. I mean, what an honor. That's awesome. Be able to do that. And then the fact that she was like the evangelist by inviting all her friends and, you know, other people and family. And like there were, like I said, like 35 or so people on Easter Monday. So it was, it was really amazing. I mean, especially to do it like right after Easter. Right. You know, everyone had just heard this, you know, the importance of Easter and the resurrection and to see the, all the symbolic, you know, so it was just, it was super cool. It was too subdued, awesome. but anyway, anyhow. So that was just something that I I thought of right there. As I said, old soul, it brought it all there, right? It was just all go. swirling. So anyway, I, I anyway, now. Bro. But but you mentioned infant baptism, man. Are you Presbyterian? What are you? What are you? So I. So yes, uh, for well, we were part of a PCA church, and then when we moved out to California, we we're part of a CRC church. Oh. And so, yeah. So, I mean, okay. I could go into the whole thing, but I'm not going to.
2: I just had uh, no idea. This yes, is all news. Yes, yes. I is. was raised Baptist was, and then went to Pentecostal. Yeah, went to a Pentecostal school. I'm a whole mix. I'm I'm very Anabaptist in a lot of yes. kind of my views. So, we're, we're but but it's all. It's all the it's body of great, Christ though. We didn't even, I love the just, diversity.
1: just No. So I it, reformed theology is probably what I would attest to, but that's not what we're talking about here. We could no. go on a lot of that stuff, but then we'd probably lose about 99% of our, our audience. And to realize that most of those issues as the reformers called them were matters of indifference. And at the end of the day, what is the gospel? What is the truth? And that's, those are things that we can disagree on and still have fellowship with each other. So that's hopefully something we will learn on this show too, that you can disagree on certain things Man. as long as you agree on the core important things. And that is a good thing. So anyway, who do we have today, bro? Well, today we got a
2: Methodist. Oh, is... <laughs> No, we got, well, we got nabs coming in. Uh, so, and he probably is Methodist because, uh, HCW, the organization that he works for and that supported the orphanage that he grew up in there. they are a bunch of Methodists over there and we love them. Uh so we uh we got nabs coming in. Uh Nabs has been on the show before. Uh it just just a great guy. He's the he's the kind of guy that is uh just uh always an encouragement, loves life, loves God, loves serving vulnerable kids, and has quite the story. Um so we're gonna be uh we've had Nabs on before. Um you guys can I don't have it on hand, but you guys could go check back. Uh his episode came out in early 2020. Um, but uh, we got him back on the show today to talk about his new book, um, and uh, that's what we get into. So, uh, and and lots of other topics that we didn't get into a few years ago when he was on. So I'm really excited to uh, share uh, this conversation. That again, solo, uh, rocked solo. Um, and uh, but it was it was amazing to to talk with my buddy Nabs and and learn about what what God's doing in his life and and what the book is all about. And if you want to know what episode it is you need to listen to the
1: interview because brandon will let you know in that interview what number the previous interview that i was able to do with nabs uh, is and so you can also judge like who did the interview better oh all those things that's that's important just let let us know so if if it's me just let me know if it's brandon let him know and then we can kind of stroke our egos and then you know it's feel really
2: good about ourselves that's something that. that sounds great i I think I got a shot. I think I got a shot. So, all right. See, so, so you guys, it was a really good interview. I'm not going to lie. I, let I us know. or comment oh. on Instagram or whatever. Let us know. Uh, oh. But uh, let's get into this conversation that I was able to have with uh, with Nabs. Well, Nabs, uh, welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. How are you doing, brother? Doing great. Thank you so much,
0: brother. Thank you for having me here again. I'm pleased to be here.
2: Well, we're really excited to to talk with you today. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I've been uh, having conversations with people uh, about the need for more orphan care, uh, family care type of written materials, and and brother, you you are meeting the need. So uh, I'm really excited to jump into your book today. Uh, but you know, for those that maybe haven't heard you on Think Orphan before or aren't familiar with your story and your ministry, can you just briefly reintroduce yourself to our audience and, and even catch us up on the work at Helping Children Worldwide?
0: Yeah, well, I am, uh, Emmanuel Nabil, um, commonly known as Nabs. I am a global child advocate and care leader, and I work as the director for mission advancement and, and partnership at Helping Children Worldwide where helping children worldwide, as the name implies, we help children worldwide by strengthening and empowering families and communities. So broadly, we have the Child Welfare Ministry and the Global Health Ministry. You know, uh, those who are familiar a little bit with the Child Welfare Ministry, we started as our our Child Welfare Ministry as an orphanage in the year 2000, right toward the official ending of the after the, the 11 years of civil war in Sierra Leone. It started as a child rescue, as a rescue center, I was one of the first 40 children that were recruited and lived in the orphanage. I lived there for almost 10 years. Um, Though we had a child support program by then in the community, we operated the orphanage model for 16 years and later learned that that children do better in safe, loving families. We we did family tracing and assessment and did bonding and trust building opportunities and then placed the children back into families and communities. So following that shift to family care, we have continued to experience great transformation, expansion, and growth in all areas. Now serving over 1,600 children and over 400 families, we are partnering with impoverished communities in many ways that they can become self-sufficient uh, and care reform. We will continue to provide expertise and coaching services, influencing policies at local and global levels. Now we work to address the issue of childhood poverty and vulnerability by strengthening not just an individual child, but the whole family, and by extension, the community as well. This is really helping us a great generation of uh, of children who can thrive into, into adulthood. And with our partners, We have continued to also scale up our global health ministry. Marston Hospital in Sierra Leone is reaching over 15,000 patients a year. They are saving lives of mothers and babies through the medical outreach, through maternity clinics, nutrition program and surgeries. And two years ago, Happy Junior Worldwide began an initiative called the Global Health Coalition um, to expand our global health connections outside of Marston Hospital in Sierra Leone. We have learned a lot about strengthening healthcare systems, especially in improving my nutrition and maternal and infant health. We also we also realized that we could connect and learn from other global health organizations by sharing our strengths, our resources, our weaknesses with each other. So through this network, of course, we have continued to de- identify funding opportunities, technical advice and expertise. The network is has grown from five organizations in zero to 33 organizations working in 27 countries. So yes, that's a summary of what the Ministry of Happy Children World War is currently doing and where we are at. Thank you.
2: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's awesome, Nabs. And I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't heard uh, Nabs' uh, personal story as well, definitely go back and check out episode 141 of Think Orphan, where uh, Phil uh, dives into Nabs' own story, which we're going to get into here as well. Uh, with uh, the book that was just recently released in the last few months, My Long Journey Back Home. Uh, Nabs, what brought this about, man? What, what, what compelled you to write this memoir? And, and why is it important to have stories like this, which are you know captivating readers and also informing our care for vulnerable kids?
0: Well, thank you, Brando. Um, when people ask me this question, I think there are three broad areas of inspiration, actually. One is about knowing where I am coming from. See, my mom, as a sitter in the moment, always used to tell me, said, if you do not know where you are going, knowing where you are coming from will help you gain clarity around where you are at. And that will help in defining your next steps. And those blessings and lessons will serve as greater purpose on your life journey. So I wanted to have clear understanding of where I was coming from, where I'm really actually coming from, my background, my family, my community, my story, how far I have come. That's one is one thing that really inspired me. Uh, of course, I spent a larger chunk of my childhood and teenage years away from my family an immediate community. My dad was killed right in front of my, in front of me when I was eight, and I got separated from the rest of my family. I spent most uh, some time in the bush and I struggled my way to the streets in the city where I lived for a year. Then I ended up in an orphanage where I spent almost 10 years with limited access to the community and also no, and, and of course, almost no meaningful access and interaction with the rest of my family. So rejoining the family and community. Years later, I knew I had gained a lot of skills, you know, including education, and I was very, very grateful for that. And I am, I am still grateful. So I'll always be grateful for that. But however, uh, I also knew I had uh, lost. I have lost a lot: family, culture, traditions, customs, language, identity. So I was inspired to have the rest of my family to help me put my life story together with all honesty necessary. So that also prompted me to, to 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 write this book. So number two area is about healing and transformation. So one would think that sharing an experience of trauma will cause one to continue to relieve that trauma. But for me, it has been serving more as a source of healing, cultivating resilience and becoming transformed. I know it was so tough to do so, but I needed the radical truth. It is hard to dig back into your past, always. It is hard to share my story and realizing the trauma I have lived. But it is transformational to realize how I got saved from all of that and who I am today. It brings me healing, gratitude, humility, and joy. And above all, it helps to redirect my focus every day and to try to be of a blessing to vulnerable children and families, in my own very little way that I can. So three, the last one there I can say it's about spreading out the message, which is very important. It's about as you read in a book, the the final section of that book talks a lot about this uh, about orphan care. My experience living in the orphanage and coming back to transition the orphanage and reason really that led me to lead that transition, to transform that the orphanage orphanage on the ground when I was li- living there. So. It's about spreading the message about caring for orphan and vulnerable children. Why children should grow up in safe, loving families and not in institutions. It's about rethinking orphans and uh, orphanages and considering other approaches that could make children to thrive in adulthood. That will not only think about putting F, that do not only think about the children but taking in consideration the children, their families and community. So that's the message that, that we, to be able to inform our audience, the American donors, and donors around the world to rethink orphanages and orphan care. So that's, yeah, that's, those are some of the areas that really prompted me to put the book together.
2: No, and I think that that's really good. And, and your voice, you know, as we've said on the podcast so many times, it's those people with lived experiences that are have the most authority. Um, I, I don't know another way to put it. And it's been a, a pleasure to, to get to know you over the last few years, Nabs, and uh, also just, you know, see the impact that these types of stories have on people and helping them rethink Mm-hmm. What orphan care looks like, or rethink, um, you know, what what would be some better ways to support children and families? Um, and you know, one of the things I, I thought this when we had Peter Mutabazi on the on the podcast last year is, um, and and I see this with yours. You know, there's lots of conversations that we have on Think Orphan around family care and around orphanages and how can we protect children? How can we have children participate, you know, in, in, in decisions that, that affect their lives. And we talk about all these different topical things. And I saw this with Peter's story and I see it with yours as well. Uh, this is, this is in many ways, it encapsulates in the life of an individual so much of what we discuss on Think Orphan, and and you know that's why I would certainly recommend that our listeners uh, go out and, and grab the book. But um, you know, your experience uh, includes living in a village that was later torn apart by the by the civil war in Sierra Leone. Um, as you mentioned a moment ago, you were on the streets, uh, which you had uh, landed on the streets because you were looking for a relative of yours, um, and then eventually ending up in an orphanage. So you, in your childhood, had three very different environments uh that you grew up in and actually uh uh suffered adversity in those different in in those different environments you know for one reason or another you know the conflict the separation you know all of these different things um you know as you kind of reflect on that you know the the violence of the war the living rough on the streets the separation and the orphanage you know, what are some of the similarities and as well as some of the differences, you know, between those different environments and those different living situations?
0: Yeah. Um, well, as you rightly said, uh, I think I was starting my life in a village. Um, um, from my childhood in village, I didn't spend up much time in the village because my time in the village was more, really I didn't spend too much time with my mom and father together. So I got a little bit of experience with them living there. I really remember enjoying my life, my life there. And, uh, um, be able to turn around and see my dad and he will call me, uh, my son, and just be able to put me on his shoulders and I have really good memories. Those child were living there and my dad and I will walk walk to the farm. Every day, we, we we are poor materially and we didn't have money and that was one of the reasons I, I couldn't even get to, I, I didn't go, get to go to college education. I didn't get access to go to school because my dad was really, really trying very hard to raise money from the farm to send me to school. And, and there was hope there was hope. So, um, but really just spend their time with him, teaching me all the his his life about hard work, about commitment, about resilience, about kindness. Like he would take our meat, trying to share with other with our neighbors, and he would tell me all these things about sh- what, is, what it means to be home, what it means to be able to be generous to other people. Even though we are poor, we really admire him, even in a poverty situation, he could still find ways to to be able to help other people. So that really taught me a lot. That was very, very much uh, uh, fun for me, living there with them. And we, I lived with a lot of our family you know, members in the house, in the small house, with aunties and uncles, and coming in and out, my grandmother, and all of those who spent it out with my friends, and just simplicity, simplicity, and love. I was born in, say, poverty, as my mom, when I tried to write put my story together, I asked him. So he told me, you were born really, you were poor. I said, I've had people said I was not born with, the, I know I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And my mom when he was turn around and told me, look, forget about silver spoon. You're not even born with a spoon. That means you're really, right. yeah, yeah, you're really born in abject poverty. But what, what was never lacking was that constant love, that genuine love, like my mom holding me in my cheek. Really, I can sense that genuine love coming from bubbly from my face and my grandmother, everybody. You know, everything. So that was just so much I really, really missed that. I really enjoyed that So and then I'll be walking, my time in the bush and then my time on the streets was us was, was tough. Um was tough. And just be able to navigate life every day and be able to think about am I am I going to be safe? Am I going to leave to see the other day? Am I going to have food to eat today? And just sleep under the table on the rainy days and the the these kidnappers and gangs, we are moving roving the streets and just thinking about and I saw my friends being kidnapped and my friend died in on the street and, and and got sick and could not provide get medicine. And it was tough. So just be able to be sick through of those that one was very was very uh, uh hard but also had friends on the street with and um, connection. So that's very um similar to what was in the village. As well, connection and hope. In the village, I had hope. I didn't have a way to go to school, but I was just hope. And then on the street, as well, I knew um, to stop. We need to stop. I was just struggling to connect with my uncle. I need. I had hope that one day there'll be transformation. One day I'll see the light. One day I'll get reconnected to my family. So hope never really. Um, it sometimes it came very close to 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 vanish, but it never really went out of sight i, I had that, i had that hope and there was just connection that helped to keep me alive keep kept restraint of that resilience i have friends in the village even though we are poor but we did things together we had fun together my family there it's very important in cultivating resilience on the street the same thing i had i have friends there you know we did things together we are we knew we are poor but we went digging in the dump sites together you know we we talk about our our woes our days we talk about our joyful moment we celebrated and things like that when we walked, for people carrying loads on our head as kids along the street we are giving food to eat we got some money to go buy some things so for ourselves we we, we appreciated and we celebrated those moments and just knowing that i was not alone in all of that situation gave me hope and and, and continue to build up our resilience so that was very that was very similar and then of course being rescued and taken to the orphanage of course again that was transformation my first time to ever sleep in a in a comfortable bed on a sheet with a bed with a with sheet of with mattress and then you know be able to have shoes on and be able to um get my dream of going to school my dad was trying really to send me before he was killed um we were the separated also i was able to get to school able to eat three meals a day and i was not getting all of those on the street i was not getting three minutes a day in the village and I was, I was not, not getting definitely not getting three meals on the street, but in the village, I have food to eat and have family, which was very, very important, very internally healing for me. But in the orphanage, yes, I had all those tangible needs we had met, um, and connection was there, and hope also was there, so hope, connection, very similar in all three uh, phases of my life, places I stayed, I lived. Um, also, what was really lacking in the orphanage, of course, what was hard, Again, different from straight and very family village was a lack of uh, uh, the family. Lack of family. I had all the tangible needs met. So, of course, those tangible needs, however good cool they are, are not enough to replace a family. They're not enough to replace our love, that genuine love, that genuine connection, that identity formation. Only within family, I realized you're able to form, you able to get that. So I missed that and yeah. that was that was hard to be able to stay away from from the family from the rest of my family not having positive interaction not having any meaningful interaction yeah. or access to them for for almost 10 years.
2: This episode is brought to you by the attachment and trauma focused therapy online course by Deborah Gray. I've mentioned this training to you all before as it is a premier resource covering an array of topics in attachment, trauma, grief and loss. We are excited to share that we have just moved the course over to our Journey Home platform with great learning options for both parents and clinicians alike. It is a full-length accredited postgraduate program with over 20 hours of training, and it is critical information for those of us in this sector. The attachment and trauma-focused therapy program was produced by One Million Home and is available in partnership with Honestly Adoption and Cascadia Learning. We have locked in the course for just $99, such a bargain there are also additional options for professionals needing to get continuing education units or who want to join a live casing group not only that but for listeners of think orphan use the coupon code ThinkOrphan, orphan one word all lowercase to get an additional ten dollars off go to 1MillionHome.com front slash atft to sign up or just click the link in our show notes i've also got a quick announcement for listeners involved in haiti The Haiti Family Care Network will be hosting the Better Together Conference in Nashville, Tennessee from July 20th to 22nd. This conference will provide a space and time to convene, share, and learn together. Workshops will be focused on topics related to supporting children and families with a special emphasis on the complexity of the current Haitian context. Now, more than ever, those of us working with children, youth, and families in Haiti need one another. So click the link in our show notes to learn more and register. I mean, I know you were back in Sierra Leone, even recently, you continue yeah. to engage with community members and, 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 uh, you know, all, all the people there and you have your own experience. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, um, that I tell people, but I say it from a place of privilege, um, and what, what I'll often say, and I want to get your take on this because you have lived experiences in both of these environments but what, what something that I'll say or something that you hear within care reform is it is better for a child to grow up in a poor family than a rich orphanage. Okay, so from your description, you have had both of those experiences. Yeah. How would you, would you agree with that statement? And um, what are some of the things that, that maybe me or other people might be missing and even making that statement between these kind of two, different environments, the, the poor family or the rich orphanage. What's what's your take on that?
0: Well, yeah, of course. Um I, I agree. I agree with that statement. If it is it is um we all think about we do not want children to suffer. I tell people, I advocate for children to grow up in safe and loving families. I lived, I grew up in an orphanage. So I speak out of experience and all the indicators we talk about that one of the reasons why we ended up transitioning the orphanage I grew up in when I came back and and let that transition on the ground because knowing that all the not all children because the assumption is in America mind the war is children living in the orphanages do not have families. You know, and what research continues to tell us and uh, no, they do have families. 90 percent eighty to ninety percent have. And we did that when I did the survey in my orphanage, we found that ninety eight percent all the children are at least a uh, biological period and uh, almost all of them are having our relatives who could care for them. That's true. And then later continue to assume and realize that it is a lack of family that pushes children to institution. But no, we all know, research has continued to tell us that that's not true. It's poverty, extreme poverty is number one reason that pushing children to families and pushing children to the streets. And we talk about abuse. Um, people talk about abuse that children living in the families can be abused, but also research continue to indicate that there is the abuse and violence that happen in institutions much higher than abuse in, 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 in family. Because I live in the orphanage, there's abuse in orphanage. I have worked many orphanages, there's abuse in orphanage, the palace in India. The challenge is it is largely hidden. But there are many things that go beyond, go go on beyond those concrete walls. Children go through that. And um, in terms of price comparison, people talk about that as well. Also, research shows that, of course. It's a very, price is not the thing when it comes to caring for children, but it we cannot overrule un- yeah. it because it's more expensive, of course, to run a uh, um, um, uh, institution, you know, compared to running family care, helping children to grow up in family. It, families push their children to institutions because they love their children. So love is there, they want their children to get access to those physical needs. Right. Most of them did not go to school. They want their children to be educated. That was the same thing in my case. My mother never went to school. My uncle never went to school. They wanted me to get educated. So when I, they saw, the, because I was the only opportunity in the book, when they came to pick me up from the house, my uncle pleaded, can you just arm a tailor? Can you be my, my, my tailor? Can you help me get, put, uh, you know, bounce, help my tailor shop come back up? And then I can be able to take care of nabs and a siblings." But the answer was no, we are not doing only taking care of the children for now. Maybe in the future we can so I was taken away to the orphanage and lived there. The same to all the children. So that means poverty, but he wanted me to get it. He knew my father would have wanted me to get education. And they could not provide that time. So that's all thinking about where... And then when they go to the orphanage, what happens? The relationship is cut off, And they are because the children are not treated as orphans. So if they are treated as orphans. That means they are not coming to have access to their children. Because of course, why would I put a child in an orphanage when they are not orphans. So that means they are being treated as orphans. The missionaries will go and see us as orphans. They will go and play with these kids. They will put them on their shoulders. But when their immediate families arrive behind there, two minutes, three minutes away from the orphanage or 10 minutes from the orphanage, but they could not have access to see that, you not know, touch even, to play with them, to touch them and everything, just because they have poverty. So the question became, yes, is there another way? If we have to do, is there another way? Can we right. find another way to do both? Those, Does a child have to choose between love and connection and the access to those basic needs, they need to be a future? Mm. There's a better way to do that. So I agree with you, not living in rich orphanage at the expense of the love, connection, identity, cultures, traditions, language, all of those things that you need to thrive when you leave the orphanage, become independent, become able to navigate the world. And we know the impact of institutional care on children that survive orphanage. How many times more they are to be to involve into prostitution, to have contact, to be in contact to the law, and to be to commit suicide, or and to and struggle to become independent? I have seen that yeah. time, time and over again. So, so yes, it is. We can say that it's good to live in a rich thing, there in an the orphanage, and in, in, in orphanage, then you know, do that. Just what it's kind of um, the Bible talking about. You say, I can it's good to be, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than to dwell in the tent of kind of, you know, kind of things that are not that it is wicked, me, but like just kind of comparison like that because we know when you are in the house of the Lord, the doorkeeper there, you are experiencing the love, you are reaching the immediate love of God and touching all of those things. So the same thing when you are in family, you might not be getting all those riches. But if there is a way to do both, Why can't we do both? I think we can do both, that's it. They don't have to separate it, they do both.
2: Absolutely, no, and and I think you articulate that so well, Nabs. And we need to make family the the point of intervention, Uh, not to intervene by removing the children, but rather to say, yes, there is a need for education. There is a need for uh, economic development. There is a need for all of these different things. But we don't, we should not remove the child from the context in order to meet those needs. Uh, And we are, we are, we are creating a bigger problem by doing that. And unfortunately, too often we have. And, you know, I I say we, um, as, as an American, uh, somebody who has worked in the orphan care space for 12, 13 years, 14, whatever it is now, um, And, you know, having been a missionary in the past as well in sub-Saharan Africa, right? And you actually discuss, you know, this dynamic a bit in the book um, with foreign missionaries that would visit, you know, the orphanage. Um, So you say in the book over time we slowly started ignoring our house mother's opinions meaning the sierra leonean the african house mother's opinions putting more value on the missionaries views we wanted to live more like the american way and not the african way this caused resentment and separation within the walls of the orphanage at one point the children and staff even stopped talking to each other okay so this this sounds like an unhealthy dynamic nabs of what are ways that missionaries have undermined connections with communities and what are better ways for foreign missionaries to you know connect with missions partners in africa uh yeah maybe you can uh, teach us a little bit on that dynamic
0: yeah well uh i'll say for true yeah um like some of th- sometimes these things happen um unintentionally right we don't Who don't mean that missionaries are very good people. You know, they they their heart. It's good. They're in this right place. They have heart in the right place. They want to go to these places to help kids. We have to go to this place to meet needs. That is it. They get a call and they want to do something about it. Which is awesome. That's the same way my orphanage started. It was a rescue thing. Children were all scattered all over the street and the war was there and poverty was rampaging. Some of them and there's something hard about the knee and those children ended up in an orphanage as a rescue mission. Over time, you know, it became continued to become an orphanage uh, hosting children for a longer period of time. Um, but like they may well, and some of these things happen because they don't they don't know like what is behind there, what's behind the scene. So like when children are living in institutions and that's just how development is. For a very long time, development has been focused on you know, are going there to see. Oh, this is this is what you want. Instead of really working with people to say, what do you really need? What is your need? How can we help meet that need? So that has not been the case for many many years. So, now it's we are talking about trying to flip development around so that people can really focus on. Okay, let's meet the community. Let's meet the people. They know. They have. They know their situation. They know their situation better than we do. So they can give. up, They have something to bring to the table to make this just right. So like in the orphanage when the missionaries used to come of course that's happening all orphanages around the world and orphanages missionaries will come and they want to help but if the culture the culture dynamic is where really the problem is the culture like in africa culture in asia culture those cultures that really have a lot of orphanages is that they are very communal and they they have to want to make sure the community is there but if you go to to africa to an orphanage and then the staff are working there and sometimes we balance power that will balance the staff who work there, who know these children. And then we go straight to the children in the orphanage and give them things, bring them supplies, even directly without passing it through the leadership of the organization, without passing it through the, the staff who work with these kids. And then you can pull the kids aside and interview them, ask them questions. How are you being treated? Did you eat today? What happened? Did, did they beat you? Did they? So that all those things, they are good questions to ask. There should not be anything hidden because it's partnership. But sometimes that is that undermines, of course, that undermines the relationship that has be built. That undermines the cultural ethics of, okay, of, of those countries. They get the aunties, the, the, the staff, and the children wanted more because of difference. We realize, children in Africa realize, oh, okay, they are Americans. They may have more money. They are the ones in fact sending the money to us. They are the one paying this stuff, so that means if they come, they give me things. Access cor- directly, I'm going to tell them things. that maybe may, be, may, be, may not even be happy. I'm going to tell them all what the stuff I'm going to tell them. This auntie is the this auntie that this mother is that this mother is that, and then that continues to create conflict, power dynamic, and even at the beginning of things like orphanage start. Like when we started the orphanage, and honestly, it was like it was wrong. It was something as a as a small um, it was run mainly by volunteers who were living in the US. So they were determining, there was no autonomy that you are determining what the children should eat, what they should wear, you know, what the menu, and all those basic, basic things. So, like the staff where you know what? Everything, they could not grow. They are not able to develop in capacity because they are all limited. They, they only have to wait. Till, okay, what can we do? Yes, ma'am. Can we paint the wall green? No, paint it blue. Can we paint it so nothing get done until wow. they, get, they get a wall from america all the way to the ocean so like and My gosh so that that creates that power and the children will not have respect for the for the staff now they will to all oh, the americans are the one giving me the ones to the americans The america will tell a story about culture Oh, in the us children children can just hit the doors slam the door at their parents or oh, america children can just do this and then so we started doing that because of, oh, I should not be vlog. Oh no, you should not talk to me like that. And because whether be Twitter, like how do way the Americans discipline their own children? You know, like children can tell to their dad, hey, shut up, dad. That's no, like you cannot say that in African culture where well, you have to respect to your adult. So we that be all of those things because wanted to be able to behave. Oh, we are African kids, we are very special. We can we have a right to yell at our parents. We have the right to shut the door at in our parents' faces when they are talking to us. And that was not culturally acceptable with the country then. And then, so all of those things continued to create. It led to a very big conflict, and people have to come, the leadership, the board members have to travel from Freetown to to come to board where the orphanage was, to come and solve that dispute between the staff and the children. It was like a malice or something, which was because we, we are becoming so uh, pompous, so like, uh, you know, we thought of ourselves so high, like, we are above the yeah. culture. We are above that. So those kind of things sometimes just un- understanding the cultural differences and knowing that that can create that can create a lot of uh, cultural challenges and and cause a, lot, a whole lot more problem. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that's uh, it's really helpful insight. And and you know our biggest uh, contingent of listeners are here in the U.S. Of course, we have downloads and tons of other countries, but but we do have a lot of Americans that serve on missions teams uh, that go to places like West Africa um, in order to, you know, pursue God's heart, you know, again, uh, as you mentioned, you know, often with great intention, but, um, you know, it is, there, there are other implications, you know, in those dynamics. So, I really appreciate your uh, insight there and You know, our listeners, you guys can definitely uh, go and grab Dab's book, My Long Journey Back Home on Amazon or wherever so that you can hear more of those types of insights. Now, um, you know, one of the things that you've discussed with us here before and then have alluded to it in this conversation as well is this piece around transitioning to family care. Mm -hmm. So you um, became separated from your family during the Sierra Leone Civil War. Um, ended up on the streets for a time and then eventually into an orphanage in Beau, Sierra Leone. Uh, it's now been 20 years since the end of the Sierra Leone Civil War, which obviously put so many children at risk, including you yourself. How would you say the environment in Sierra Leone is now as it pertains to children and potential adversity that they might go through?
0: Yeah, um, of course, um, the Generally, when you come to the environment, Swaziland is still a very friendly. It's a friendly country. It's very cu- culturally uh, rich, rich culture, and Muslims and Christians peacefully live together. It's wonderful. Um, children, of course, children uh, from the beginning of time, before the intervention of orphanages, um, of course, that's why the African thing is: it takes a village to raise a child. So children have always grown up in families. So when mine. Like for instance, there was an orphanage when when your when the child will lose their dad or their parent, the next person will go stay with their uncle or their aunties or the grandpa, they will take them in as their own children. That used to happen, but okay, intervention of orphanages now and poverty escalated, so now institutions and orphanages become like the first run to place a place to run to. When oh let's take them to the orphanage, they can get food or orphanage people will come and get them. in fact, now it's not only about taking. Trying to do a lot of proper assessments, and and now they go to homes, poor homes. I tell them, okay, we can have you have four children, we can have one of them, um, but how can we are going to put them in the orphanage, and without a proper justification, we put them in the orphanage. But the thing is, the catch is, you are not going to have access to them until the age after of that orphanage. So you should not show your face that you are the mother. You should not show your face as you are the father. So they are going to be treated as an orphan. So if you come around to see them, you have to sneak around, or you have to look for opportunity when there's something. So all of those things happen, and it's hard, and there's sibling separation and all of those things. So, but but generally now I'm looking at things in a country. Australia Lanka continues to be a place where children can grow up um, in families. Um, that's why the organization like Happy Children Worldwide is doing, and also. I like the support of which one million home one of our partners they work with uh, the clc to continue to to help truly uh, uh transition in country measure department work with uh, organizations so that you all can do the you can you all can help see children to get back into families to get back to our normal culture of children growing up in safe loving families where they can go and not three means a day not become very rich but yes they do not lack that love connection that they need so that they can continue to grow up as healthy adults so that's very, very important. Um, yes, the country is still struggling uh, since the war and poverty-wise, and there are sick kids living on the streets. Um, so um, the orphanage, like the, CL, the, the CLC, not non the orphanage, the CLC, uh, child reintegration center, since the transition is now helping to do street reintegration and bring them into interim care facility and be able to assess them and trace their families and then reunite them and then help their families put up on the plan and the journey plan for them to be released from supposed so own country who don't create dependency um so that that's it happening so the country as a whole it's it's uh, it, 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 it the country needs help um but things have changed things have changed a lot and with the intervention of our partners and who are trying to change development instead of just going to the community and provide giving handouts we're now thinking about how do we do more of hand up. So that these families can now continue to take care of themselves. That's 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 changing. That's changing the dynamic of the situation there in the country.
2: Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And you know, we do talk a lot about care reform here. And and you mentioned, you know, one million homes partnership with with HCW and the CRC there. Um, and there's a lot that goes into shifting, yeah, uh, the care of kids within a given country. Um, There's different policy frameworks, different implementation patterns, uh, different things going on at the organizational level, and it varies from one country to the next. Um, And we've been uh, really delighted to come alongside HCW to to really kind of, you know, bear down in West Africa and Sierra Leone specifically um, to see care reform efforts, you know, in the country take place. Um, Maybe if you could... You know, from from your vantage point, having you know led an organizational change within Sierra Leone, um, and now having HCW you know quite involved in trying to create countrywide change, you know how is your team in Sierra Leone supporting care reform efforts in the country at large, and and seeing more orphanages transform their models of care as you guys did at the CRC?
0: Oh yeah. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, that's again blessing from our partners like you and who are supporting the work there as well. Um, well, it since we trans since we, we moved to family care, um, the CLC is leading it has become a recognized uh uh model in helping other organizations um to move to from orphanage to family care and helping them do family tracing. So they they are working with organization all organizations all over the country, sierra leone they are supporting our transition work in liberia in kenya in nigeria and all of those places so they they are leading training they are working with government leaders they are working with child protection organizations and they are working with community leaders in faith faith-based organizations as well faith-based leaders and all of those things all of those people they are working with them and help them understand that the best place for children to grow it's in safe and loving families. And how do we do this? They have a whole curriculum developed that they work with these organizations and be able to help them to say, you know what, we can cont- we can do both. We can continue to give these children of Syria a better life. We can help them develop into striving, uh, uh, thriving adults, if we can do to send them home. Because we know that uh, when families get strong, stronger, and they begin to thrive, what happens? Communities also get stronger and begin to thrive. And that way, we are helping the children. It's not only about the child. It's the ecology of the child. The child in the middle we have the, the immediate family supporting the child. The community, the teachers, the churches, the mocks, the, 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 the government, and all of those factors, all of those supporting systems are what giving the child to thrive. So how do we continue to build this? So that's what they do. CLC enrolls. A family into the program they do a family status index not family to assess their their what do they really need in order to get from here to there where they can become self-sufficient to take care of themselves and they achieve the world where they can wipe out a narrative that we they often tell themselves they think they are not enough they don't have enough they are too poor and which outsiders missionaries or partners often reinforce unintentionally that this thing they are not enough they are not capable to so want to give them this so once they move to that thing they are being released like I, as I'm speaking by in July July this this year CLC is set to release about 10 families already already set on Rosa to be released from support those families have been worked with over the years and now they are ready to be released from support when they get released from the support guess what they are going to become mentors to new families who can also then continue to, to, to work with them and share challenges and share successes and enjoy along the journey. But yes, the CLC work is is really yielding our great fruits in the, in the lives of children and families in the country and government recognizes the work the CLC is doing and helping orphanages in the country and beyond to be able to transition to family care.
2: Yeah, no, that's good, and and I appreciate the way that you frame that. We've talked about ecological models on Think Orphan before, and well, I hear a lot of what you're saying in terms of the family level and the community level, the organizational level. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you said there at the end was how the government recognizes you know the work. Um, I I would be curious to kind of dig into that just briefly, a little bit more as far as how you guys have found working with. The national government of Sierra Leone. Uh, the, the, the government is, or the country is not a huge country. Um, and we, <laughs> uh, us Americans, we know uh, firsthand how difficult it can be to apparently get legislation passed that actually reaches vulnerable populations. Uh, and in many, you know, countries in sub-Saharan Africa, that can be even more so the case. Um, so, As you guys have engaged the national government of Sierra Leone as just, you know, you guys have been a service provider for, you know, however many decades, two, three decades, whatever it's been. Uh, You guys have been a service provider um, and you guys went through your own transformation process. You're now engaging with other organizations, you know, there locally to, to also, you know, promote family care. Um, but what does it look like for an organization like you guys uh, to begin those interactions and what are some of the hang-ups? Uh, what's some of the traction that you guys get when you guys are interacting with, uh, with the government?
0: Yeah, well, of course, you know, it's it's never uh, an easy task to be able to go over to to get the government uh really be engaged. At that, that level, currently, the CLC is able to get them. It took like, you know, years of uh, cultivating relationship and really be able to uh, uh, tell them the message and be able to paint a vision that they can see how is this going to benefit the country? How is it going to benefit your government? Because about politics sometimes, that's one of the reasons why I find it difficult, like in many other countries, that there are a lot of orphanages existing because the government themselves are afraid. One way to help somebody to really be on board with your change is to know, how, how, how can they overcome that? You have to let overcome their fear. You know, one of the greatest fears of some of those government people is like, okay, well, I want to look good as a government in power. Because otherwise, the other person, the other guy who is coming may want to say, oh, well, you are in government. You have many children who are not being supported. You have children on the street and blah, blah. So that means sometimes they look, okay, well, they look for the easy way, the easy fix, which easy fix is not always the best fix. And then it causes a lot of long-term impact. So that means easy fixes oh, okay, as a government, I don't want the children, I don't want the other oppose the opposition government to come and tell me that oh, you have many children in your living on the street where you are a governor. So that means let me just look for any donor that comes to say, hey, I'm putting all these kids into our orphanage. Let them just live there. Whether they have families or no families, they're all in the orphanage and go to cut to that relationship. That way the streets are clean of no kids around, no kids are starving, hungry, kids. So that means I'm looking good. But really without thinking about what is the impact that is coming? How is that even going to not even solve the problem? How are those children going to come out of the institution later on and still go back to the street and have meta issues and become to continue to add to the burden of the society of your country? So those things are never taken into consideration. And how are you separating their families, how the other siblings are going to become uneducated and not having access to all those benefits. And they're going to be depending on that one child who may be getting educated, and also they'll all be depending on the country resources. So not, those things are not thought of. So we have been able, to, with the CLC, they have this great message, the great pitch idea, they go and work with this government and talk to them, hey, here is here you see yourself, here's the future. Your government will look way better. This country will look way better to be able to see your, these children, you are not going to put an institution, you are not separating the families, but you are actually putting the whole family together and then, hey, look, the money is not this problem here. It might cost a little bit more at the beginning. But now, it it, it costs about $2,000 to take care of one child in an orphanage. It's going to cost about $70, almost $300 to help a family, a whole family of four or five or six, to be to move from where they are to become self-sufficient, so they can be able to help contribute to this country. And your regime gets better. The country gets better. And this is how everybody wins. And they see that message, they say, wow, okay, are you are you sure you can do this? And CLC preaches that message to the government. CLC helps other organizations, other orphanage leaders to understand their roles. And then the media also helps, they work together with the CLC. So it's everybody's business, everybody's involved. The Muslim leaders come, the Christian leaders come. So all those people come and learn about the best practices that yes, the orphanage can provide immediate rescue. But what will they <coughs> provide the, 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 the long-term rescue and support as the family. That's why the children can stay and thrive. So with that message, the people of the government, it's been hard, but they buy it and they understand it. They get invited. They come to those workshops and seminars that the CLC hosts. They come there. They speak. They try to say, yeah, this is our dream. We want to send children Who the Minister of Gender and Children's Affairs in Siwa-Lil, who, who is the head of the Children's Ministry in the whole country, has attended CLC staff and said yes, this is a priority of the government so that these children in orphanages can go back home. If we have a CLC can lead this process and they even requested for CLC's model, the tool they use to help train orphanages, to help train other child care uh, workers so that they can do proper proper family tracing, they can do proper house assessment, before they can do proper reunification to help the children home. They requested for the CLC to give them that document and CLC put together everything and gave them so that it can become the universal the model for national national police to say here is a national tool. These are the step by step process to help children get home. Which CLC have them to put together. So it is so amazing that uh, they can they come to buy into it. It just takes time. It's it's a slow process because there's turnover and changing government and all of those things. And and there are other orphanages in the country that are being supported by by maybe different donors that are still not ready did they to do the shift because of course yeah. it's becoming like a it's becoming like the orphanage business which which is causing a lot of problem.
2: Yeah. No, that's really helpful Nabs. And uh yeah, I, it, there's so many different moving pieces when it comes to care reform. So it's it's good to kind of hear your guys's engagement with the government as well as organizations there in the area. All right. Well, we have the two rapid fire questions that you answered a few years ago. So, uh, hopefully, maybe maybe a little a different answer. If I can't even remember what you said a few years ago, obviously it was before we had the podcast. But, um, what have you read, watched, or listened to that has most impacted, or at least has had some impact on your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable kids and families with excellence?
0: Well, I mean, this inform my faith a lot. Uh, a lot here because I'm talking about the thing is the Bible. So it begins it says that children with yeah. the lonely families, God set the lonely families. Um. So I that that has really been my, my guide, and I believe that is how most of the the same too with, with a lot of uh, the missionaries who have good intention, who hearts are in the right places. They all think about what the Bible said, and let's help children, let's help families, the vulnerable families. So that's that has always been my, 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 tip, my, my, my set about, uh, just moving to family gear, which I know God sets the lonely in families and children do better when they grow up in family. So the Bible, it's, it's biblical. It's right there.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you can never go wrong with the Bible. So, uh, you, you definitely get a pass on that one, Nabs. All right. What person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable kids with excellence?
0: Wow um Again, I was again I would talk about, of course, the our stuff from our Lord, Lord, uh, you know, biblical Jesus. Talking about how the way he cares for the, the little kids and the way he cares for children. That's he has that's number one person who has always he, uh, just uh, uh, informed my, my judgment on how we care for children. It inspired me the way he loves children. We can love them that way. Even a better way to have them grow up in families. And then just thinking about all the people who are involved in this ministry. Um, not just one person, but the organizations like One Million home, like Pay to Action, the foundation like you know War Without Orphans, all those big organizations and those people leading those organizations talking about, and then the missionaries whose heart, partners, champions whose hearts are all directing towards providing better care for children, thinking about the way we can invest more into building into building uh, our communities, into building families, discovering it through the truly simplest answer to orphan crisis begins with. Uh, Trying to understand that particular myth that uh, children do not have living parents or family members. But one, we could, they are, those people are really globally recognizing that we can solve this so-called orphan crisis by investing in families, providing resources, and caring for and strengthening those in poverty. we they, we can we can move towards raising a generation of children who we who will are, are not only become better people but who do it thrive in adulthood. So they can have both their tangible and intangible needs met in a family. These children really will have a better tomorrow. So those people who understand that concept, those people I see day by day, they walk towards that goal. They have always inspired me.
2: Amen. Well, that is a, a good note to end on. So, uh, Nabs, thank you so much for uh, your work. Thank you for your story. Thank you for this book that I really uh, look forward to people digging into. And, and thanks for coming back on the Think Orphan podcast.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you to all listeners. And uh, please thank you and God bless the work you do.
2: Well, a uh, big thank you to Nabs for coming back on think orphan uh, just he's he's just the kind of guy where you talk with him and you just kind of feel a little bit better about life when you're done talking with him he's just he's that kind of guy um and and you know just getting I, I think last time maybe i talked to him before that he was coming through tacoma we got some thai food together i mean it, he's just uh he's just somebody worth hanging out with so it was great to get him back on the on the podcast uh what did you think phil what kind of stuck out to you or, or what What were some of your thoughts?
1: Yeah, you know, um, I, 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 like you said, I mean, I really just appreciate Nabs. I appreciate his passion. I appreciate um, all that God's done and is doing in and through him, you know, and uh, you hear him on, you hear him on the podcast and you meet him in person and it's not, it's no different, right? It's just a joyful Full of life, a uh, young man, even younger than Brandon, believe it or not, um, but uh, who is uh, wise beyond his years, has experience that um, is, uh, it's just powerful. As we talked about, you know, to have two care slash adoptees um, back to back episodes, um, hearing their story, hearing from them, hearing not just their story, because often we reduce it to a story. And, um, and we miss the lessons from the story. We miss the, the importance of what they're saying, what they're working for. To, and this is what we, you know, we were just talking about um, before we recorded, just the fact that, as, again, as you listen to an interview, it's different from doing the interview. And I, I, it's rare that I don't do the interview. And so to be able to just listen and hear what you hear, folks, out there, like just as if I'm listening to this interview um uh cuz that's what I was doing but to hear not only his passion but to hear how much of an advocate naps I mean you he you can tell he's chomping at the bit to tell us why it's so important to get kids into families yeah this is someone who gets it who didn't have that had it then didn't have it yearned for it right it, 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 and then Knows, and if you want, if you don't want to have the hole in the heart, you need, we need to get these kids into families. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, you're asking about other stuff. I can just, I can just see him fidgeting, like just going, hey, when are you going to ask me about the good stuff? When are you going to ask me right. about the good stuff? When are you going to ask me about the good stuff? And then when you ask him finally, he like jumps on. He's like, ah, I'm going to tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. And it's like, and I love it. And because of that, If you didn't, go back and listen to it again and just listen to what, like, not just, oh, this is a cool story about a kid. What a story. I'm going to go back and listen to the other story. What a story. That's important. Don't get me wrong. We learn a lot in story. But what's the message? And that's that's something that Nabs has been talking. And if you want to hear it, he'll tell you as much as you want to hear. And that tells me it's not just a job. It's not just something that he's getting a paycheck. It's not just something that someone told him he's supposed to do. It's not just something that he read in the Bible or read somewhere else. This is something that he's lived. This is something that he knows. And this is something he does. He wants to make sure the kids that are coming after him. I did an interview with a friend, you know, about something completely different. But he said that his dad would always tell him, you know, you need to do certain things for the people coming after you. And I feel like that's what Nabs is doing here, saying all the kids after me. To not have to go through what I went through, to not have to deal with that trauma that I had to, to not have to do all these things that I had to go through. I hope they can learn from this, and other people can learn from my story to be able to say we need to get kids into families. So that was the biggest thing for me, and I just, I just love that guy, and am um, so glad we were able to get back on it, and I'm glad that he wrote a book too that we can, we can, you can go out and pick up, read, and and, and we can, you can have that on your shelf to be able to share with other people too.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So definitely go check out. I mean, the, the link is, you know, in the show notes if people want to check out uh, NAB's book, definitely recommend it. Um, yeah, and so much good stuff in there. I mean, there were definitely a few things that stuck out to me as well. Um, and I think a lot of it, um, well, one thing I'll just kind of mention, you know, you, 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 you talked about, um, working with uh, engaging care leavers beyond their stories. And that was something that we talked about when Ruth Washuka was on uh, mm-hmm. Think Orphan a couple of years ago. So that's definitely a, a podcast that people can go in and check out as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing that kind of stuck out to me the most and that I was, you know, kind of asking nabs about was just kind of the trajectory of West Africa and foreign involvement, essentially. So, you know, he became separated from his family during the war, right? And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is this kind of difference. There's like relief interventions, there's rehabilitation, there's development, you know, that's kind of, that, that's what we talk about in like when helping hurts, right? That kind of paradigm. Um, and really when he went into the orphanage, it was kind of like a relief type of situation, you know, um, the issue wasn't that an American NGO, you know, wanted to help this this kid that had become separated from his family, right? which you read about in his book. The, the issue became that that became the long-term, you know, uh, intervention, right? And now we've applied this kind of like relief intervention in the midst of a conflict and just allowed that to perpetuate and become his whole childhood, right? And that's why, you know, you mentioned the ones that come after him, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that he then becomes the director of that children's home and actually gives to those kids exactly what he would have hoped for himself. Right. You know, um, And we know, I mean, Laura and Melody and all the people over at Helping Children Worldwide that have such a heart you know, for the children of Sierra Leone and the amount of humility that it took. You know, for them as an organization to say, actually, we're going to undergo this shift in this transformation, and that's one of the reasons why we, why One Million Home, we've loved partnering with, helping children worldwide. So, um, so I, I love that piece, and and totally agree. And those, you know, questions around the missionary piece even kind of relates to that uh, quite a bit, you know, because their conflict hasn't been going on for 20 years. So is it necessary for us to continue to use this type of intervention, you know, for kids that have gone through adversity, even historic adversity, you know, going back years towards the civil war, um, which was when nabs became separated from his family. So it is, it it gives us, it should give us pause, you know, especially when you bring in some of the cultural pieces that we discussed um, and how the kids were becoming more enculturated, uh, according to American values, which just to be perfectly honest, like that's not going to serve them when they leave the children's home. Like it's just not going to serve them to be enculturated according to American values and customs. Like it's just not going to work. Um, and that's one of the reasons why kids that age out um, have such a challenge um, because they're not, they, they are Sierra Leonean in every, you know, way ethnically, but not culturally. And that is, that's, that's a problem. And and unfortunately that happens in a lot of places where kids do, you know, spend their childhoods separated from their communities and from their families. So, um, it's definitely something for us to learn from. Um, and that's why I love, uh, that he wrote a book and came on the show as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that one of the things I've been saying is to some people talking about missions, talking about, you know, why should I like, you know, I'll ask them, well, why are you going? And, and they'll give me answers, whatever. And oftentimes what I'll hear is, is there's something going on in their life that they're not really healthy for whatever, whatever reason, and they're almost escaping that thing to go overseas. Hmm, and so I'll ask them, you know, well, w- what is that reason? And because to go to escape is not the right reason. You shouldn't go to escape from something. Well, not shouldn't. Do not go to escape from something. Go to something because you're called to go there. And if you're called to go there, oftentimes when they're escaping from, they're almost afraid to talk to people about what they're going to do because they're like, well, they might tell me I shouldn't go, you know, and so they talk to only the people that they know will affirm them who usually right. aren't super healthy people themselves rather than going to people that you know would push back. that will ask you the hard questions. So if you're called to go somewhere, doesn't matter what anyone says to you. There will never be a question that will be something that will throw you off course because you're called to go there. But almost ask people to talk you out of it. Um, Not almost, Mm. do it. Because if they can, then I would say, you know there's a chance that maybe you're not called to do that at that moment, maybe later, but maybe not at that moment. And so that's something that I think when people go because they're unhealthy, I think personally, what I've seen is that savior complex is much easier to creep into those people. you know, unless there's just no one has ever told you anything and people just have no idea what they're doing is incorrect. But nowadays, honestly, I don't think there's any excuse for that. There's just too much out there to show us different ways to do things and what, you know, when helping hurts. I mean, that's like, if you don't know about that book, you're not, you're not looking, right? And if you read that, that should at least trigger some questions. And then reading, you know, in pursuit of reading, you know, listening to Think Orphan, I mean, we got 200 and something episodes. So that's something where I look at it and go, if you are feeling called, test the call, right? Just like we should test the spirit when we hear something from the Lord. Test it by, with scripture, test it with wise counsel, test it by listening to some of these podcasts, talking to people who know what they're doing. And I would be, you know, most people would say, hey, are you sure? If they're really being being honest, you know, and I, and I say this because I have people very close to me who have said, I want to go. And I said, well, why do you want to go? Well, because I want to, you know, I want to experience something new. Okay, well, there's a lot of better ways to experience something new, right? Right. So anyway, that's something that I think, again, a little just, it it's it's kind of leapfrogging off of what Nabs was saying. That's not what he was saying. But I think that idea that if we go in unhealthy, the likelihood that we will transfer that unhealth to others is very high. And so anyway, all that to say, I know you have a you have a uh, recommendation for us, so I want to hear it, bro. Yeah. Well, just
2: a quick recommendation um, for a very accessible uh, resource, um, and it goes off of you know what we mentioned in in terms of like listening to care leavers, rethinking our interventions. Um, there was a video that came out I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe now. Um, called "The Love You Give." You can just watch it on YouTube. Um, it was put out by Better Care Network. Um, you guys have heard Rebecca Nepp on the podcast in the past, so it was put out by uh, Better Care Network. Their uh, and and the and the stories that it tells um, are just really uh, eye opening. And uh, Ruth Washuka is in it. Uh, Peter Kamau, so people that you've heard here on Think Orphan in the past um, are in that video as well. Um, and it's uh, it's just very eye opening, and it's one of those where it's just like okay, like like those are people with authority, right? And it's it's care leavers, it's practitioners, it's all based there in Kenya. Um, so, anyways, uh, we'll link it in the show notes. But if you guys kind of want to dive into a video, you know that kind of focuses on similar type of upbringing that Nabs describes in the book. Um, definitely recommend uh checking out the love you give it's 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 a little over 20 minutes so it's not too long you know skip an episode of something to watch something to watch something else that's going to inform your approach uh in in loving you know orphan and vulnerable kids so
1: awesome so folks definitely take a look at that you can get all of the links to everything we talked about on this show in the show notes so go check out the show notes if you want to learn more about 1 million home you can check that out at 1 millionhome.com right? .com. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah. Throwing a, sure. throwing a, sure. it out there. If you want to learn more about <laughs> And that, if you want to learn more about Providence World, just providenceworld.com. There you providenceworld.com. go. Providenceworld.com. So you can do that. I'm just doing that a little, mix it up. I'm, you know, I just, I don't want people to think we're predictable. So, you know, just like we talked about infant baptism in the intro part, you know, I just, you know, you never know what might come up here. Um, you found out last episode that you know, if you didn't listen, then you found out some things about me and Star Wars that you probably never would have thought you'd hear on Think Orphan. So folks, with all that, other than those things that I just talked about, if you know, please take that what you're learning from this show and, and use it, use it. That's why we do this. We don't do it. So it's just, you know, we don't care about numbers. We don't care about all this downloads, except to the extent they result in impact. And that impact happens through you. And so please, please take this take what you learn and share it with people who will use it and you yourself take all that you're learning and use it to help you to love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day thanks a lot have a great couple weeks